Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. So before we dive in, we've got a couple of announcements today. The first one I'm super excited about. We have an Instagram account. Yay! Yay! You can follow us on Instagram now, at Kindred's Podcast. Our Instagram is where we will be sharing extras from the show and links to other great folks to follow. We'll share what we're reading and listening to. We'll share quotes, all kinds of stuff. Plus, we've got some exciting updates on the horizon. So if you follow our Instagram, you will be the first to know. Yeah, come follow us on Instagram and we'll follow you back too so we can keep up with all of our amazing listeners. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of listeners, we have a new patron who just discovered the show about a week ago and her name is Elizabeth Blood. So we're so glad to have her supporting us on Patreon and she's already been active in our uh, group on Facebook. So if you want to join our Facebook group and get to have some input on the show as we're making it. Um, yes. Please go over to patreon.com slash kindreds today. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. All right. Today, we are going to talk about soulmates. Yay. Yay. Kind of touching back a little bit on our mysticism episode, but also just about relationships, which we've talked yeah. about before, but yeah. not in this specific kind of way. So I think we need to start with asking... Do you, Ashley, believe in soulmates? I am so happy that we're talking about this. The short answer is, yes, I believe in soulmates, but not in the traditional like Hollywood sense. Mm -hmm. I don't believe we only have one, and I don't believe that they have to be romantic in nature. But I do think that sometimes there are just people in your life who get you. And sometimes it's instant right when you meet them. Sometimes it takes a little while for that to grow. But some folks just become woven into the stories of our lives in really beautiful and important ways and are kind of always there. And for me, soulmates are the folks in my life where I feel really seen and understood and we can really be our whole selves with each other. And I don't know about you, I, it feels like it's the relationships where no matter how long it's been, how much time has passed since you last saw each other, you can pick right up where you left off. But I will say this, I don't really use the term soulmates. I prefer kindreds or kindred spirits. Yeah. <laughs> Did you read the Anne of Green Gables books as a kid? I think I read a few, but I definitely watched some of the shows on PBS. Oh, yeah, I did too. Yeah. yeah. That's where I first picked that term up, I guess, the idea of kindreds and kindred spirits. And ever since I was a kid, I've used the idea of kindreds to refer to those folks in my life that are what other people might call soulmates. And our listeners probably already know this. I feel like we talked about it maybe in our very first episode, but that's actually where the name of our show comes from. Yes. Thank you, Ashley and Anna of Green Gables for that inspiration. <laughs> yeah. I always get really excited whenever I meet a kindred because, I mean, it can really feel like falling in love. It's something you just know. Absolutely. I like that. A soulmate is a kindred. Um, so I want to talk about that more in a second. I was thinking about when I first heard about soulmates outside of a Hollywood setting. Mm -hmm. And it was in college. My first year, I was in a class about religion and emotions, which is really interesting framing. The whole class? 
It was called, yeah, Religion and Emotions. Huh. And we read Plato's Symposium, which I don't know if you've ever read mm-hmm. that. Um, but there's this speech that this guy named Aristophanes gives. And he was a Greek comedian. So the story was not meant to be taken seriously. But it's kind of interesting where he talks about in the beginning, humans had uh, three different genders. They were male, female, and androgynous, where they had like both female and male genitalia. And every person had two set of arms and two sets of legs and genitals, etc. So what happened according to this myth is that the Greek god Zeus was worried that human beings were becoming too powerful and would rise up against him. So he split human beings in two, turned their heads and necks the other way. So they had to look at their gaping wound, which is tied up at the belly button. Mm. And human beings were destined to go around looking for their other half. And they would be so distracted when they found that other half of themselves that they would be overwhelmed by that love and not able to rise up against the Greek gods. <laughs> so um, I remember hearing this. Like, have you heard this before? I Well, I definitely read Plato's Symposium. This part didn't necessarily stick with me. But fair enough. <laughs> I'm thinking about like, you know, folks being so distracted by relationships that they can't participate in uh, society. And like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I feel like that's pretty spot on. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I remember hearing it and being 18 years old and just going, oh, that's so beautiful that we all have <laughs> this other part of ourselves that we're wandering the earth for. And like, yeah, I very much took it as a romantic notion and idea. And looking back, I'm like, wow, that was pretty naive of me. But it very much reflects how deeply embedded this mythology is. And Mm -hmm. it very much fit into the evangelical purity culture that we've talked about Mm -hmm. before around God preparing, you know, a godly man for me. And this definitely seemed to support that. And once I met this person, I would feel that completion that Aristophanes is talking about. So like you, now that I've had multiple romantic relationships and been partnered for about 10 years, I I don't believe in a single soulmate either. But I do believe in something that is new to me, an idea, which is the soul family. And Mm -hmm. it fits in with what you're describing around kindreds. Um, So when I think about the soul family, I think about the part of ourselves that is immortal, that originates from God prior to our being born on this earth. And that there are other souls that we have been connected with in the spiritual realm and that we've kind of chosen to have our lives intertwined on earth. And we don't necessarily have that knowledge, but when we meet the person, there is that sense of like, I've already met you before. And that Mm -hmm. definitely happened with you. And I think about the first time that you and I talked, um, Mm -hmm. it definitely happened with Matt. And there've been a lot of people in my life where I just feel like, we go way back. Um, and like you said, these are people that I cannot talk to for a long time. And I just feel like we could reconnect instantly. So maybe it's because in the spiritual realm, time isn't a linear thing. So our under- understanding of each other isn't connected with time either. What do you think about that? <laughs> Was that too ethereal? <laughs> so I love that idea. And I don't quite know what to make of it. Okay, so... I definitely believe in a soul, but I've always thought of the soul as kind of the spark from the divine flame that before our embodiment on earth, our souls weren't separate from God, but rather Mm -hmm. a part of the bigger flame. And then when we die, we rejoin that flame. I don't necessarily think that that is at odds with your theory of our souls knowing each other before we were embodied because 
if our souls were joined together with God, then our souls were joined together with each other. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where I land on the idea that our souls maintain their distinction in a spiritual realm. I think that's maybe where I differ a little bit, but it's such a fun idea to explore that we have kindred spirits or soulmates because we knew each other in a different form in a different time. I think that's beautiful. And it there's something about that that just feels really comforting. I love mm-hmm. the concept of the soul family also, which that's a new concept to me. You've mentioned it to me a time or two, and I had never heard that before. I think that especially for folks whose earthly families might be sources of pain or trauma or suffering, I think the soul family can be a way to reframe the idea that there are beings looking out for us throughout our lives, even if we're not, quote, related, you know? Yeah. No, I love that too. And I think what I'll say next might get to your point about the tension between kind of the unity or oneness and then our desire for connection. Because I think both of those things are intention and are true at the same time. So as I was thinking about that desire that we have for a relationship, because I really do think that we desire that at kind of a fundamental human level. Mm-hmm. I went back and reread some of my favorite texts from seminary, which is Margaret Farley's Just Love. And if you don't know who she is, Mm-mm. she is a she's a Catholic nun. She's also an ethicist. She was the first Catholic woman to be a professor at Yale Divinity School. Wow. And she writes a lot about ethics of sexuality and relationship, which I just love the idea of like a Catholic mm-hmm. nun writing about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, so she wrote this book called Just Love, and it it won one of the highest awards that a book can get in academia called the Grawmeyer Award. Um, and their, their tagline is celebrating the impact a single idea can have on the world. So like mm-hmm. we're talking about a really important book. Yeah. And next thing you know, the Catholic Church has censured her book of officially. <laughs> so then it shot up to the, the New York Times bestseller. Oh, of list. course. And, you know, an academic book becomes a New York Times bestseller because the Catholic Church says don't read it. Yeah. So I just love that. But one of my favorite things that she says in this book, and it's full of amazing words, she says, each person is a world, whole world in herself. Yet her world is in what she loves. Mm-hmm. And it's that tension and contradiction that we're both complete and at one with each other and in and of ourselves and incomplete at the same time that drives our freedom, um, our freedom and longing for being in relationship with each other. And I see that in my own life, how there's this tension of like feeling great when I'm just alone. Mm-hmm. And like having that communion with God and with spirit, but then I need that space with other people and like the going back and forth mm-hmm. is really important. And I see Jesus doing this. I was just rereading the gospel of Mark where he goes off to pray alone and the disciples come get him and he goes out to reconnect with the world. So we are fundamentally created for connection with ourselves, with one another and with the divine. I absolutely agree with that. I think what's unfortunate is that so many messages we get from church lean really hard on those romantic relationships, marriage, especially heterosexual monogamy as those Mm -hmm. like primary relationships in our lives. Like there's lip service given to our relationship with God is first, but, but there's so much pressure on young people in the church to partner up, get married, stay Mm -hmm. monogamous forever, you know, and, it leaves out other relationships that are just as vital, like friendships or our relationships with ourselves. And it's weird to me when you consider that one of the most policed ideas about Jesus 
is that he was single and celibate until he died. <laughs> right. You know, like, yeah. You can't, yeah. that Even is. though that's completely countercultural to the place and time in which he grew exactly, up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And anytime it's suggested that he might not have been single or might not have remained celibate, there's, you know, that is like the one thing you cannot say about Jesus. It's sacrilege. <laughs> And I think you were starting to touch on this, but that's something I've always wondered. Why is it so important in Christian theology that Jesus is single and celibate? And since it's so important, why does it feel like the Christian church is absolutely obsessed with sex and romantic love? <laughs> yeah, you're no, you're so right. There's so much to unpack there. We don't have time to get all yeah, into maybe it, but not. I'll just like there are a few things I'll say. So Jen and our patron group on Facebook actually brought this up that there's a lot of speculation about Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to make a guess that those first six pages of the Gospel of Mary that I talked about a few episodes back on mysticism yeah. that are missing and all three copies, I think it is totally about Jesus and Mary Magdalene being uh, married. <laughs> it would not surprise me at all. They're like, oh, no, we can't. We can be radical, but not that radical. Um, yeah. So back to your your question. The weird thing is that Early followers of Jesus thought Jesus was coming back like to like tomorrow, like mm -hmm. he was going to return and restore the kingdom of God like right now. So mm -hmm. if you read some of the early Christian texts, there wasn't really an emphasis on coupling up and procreating and even some of the words of Jesus himself, which were recorded like a couple of generations after he died. They don't emphasize like the biological family at all. Um, hmm. but then there were other followers who I think had their own kind of personal hangups about sex. So yeah. I'm reading a biography right now by N.T. Wright about the apostle Paul, which is really interesting. And he come, he came from an expression of, I wouldn't even call it like Judaism because that wasn't even really a thing at the time, but an expression of Jewish law that was really punitive and harsh in my opinion. Hmm. And then Later, people like Augustine, who honestly probably just needed yeah. to like work through his own personal hangups about sex rather than talk about sex as the original sin. So I think there's like this embedded sort of like personal psychology that just became part of the tradition. And I also think the coupling up and stuff has to do with white supremacy in the US as well. Well, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. we got to keep white people procreating and like creating more yep. white babies. Um yeah, so that's, you're totally right. That's like something we have to say. So there's these two competing ideologies, like the idea of the soulmate and then the hangups about sex, not to mention patriarchy and misogyny and racism. Mm. So where we get, that's how we get to where we are now, which is like this obsession with controlling sexuality, especially women's sexuality and elevating romantic love as essential to our wholeness especially for women. And this came up a lot in our patron group. Katie said, female worth is tied to whether or not you're in a relationship, but male worth is defined by contributions to society, which, yeah, yeah that's, that's, uh, that's pretty clear. And then Sarah said, growing up, I was always, I was taught that a good marriage is centered around Christ, which implied that marriage difficulties were God's way of punishing people for personal failings. Also, mm -hmm. women were always more at fault. Oh, your husband cheated on you? Well, maybe if you had kept him happier, he wouldn't have gone elsewhere. Ouch. Oh, that hurts. Oh, my mm. gosh. Yeah. So when I read that one in the Patreon group, it struck a chord with me. Oh, no. I was absolutely raised on the idea that the only way to have a solid marriage is to, quote, keep God at the center. Whatever that means, right. though. Right. 
what does that mean? Go to church regularly, take premarital counseling, maybe pray together every night or say grace, because you can do all of those things and still (laughs) not understand how to communicate, not understand how to balance your needs with your partner's needs, how to equitably run a household, and there can still be abuse, addiction, other issues that require professional help. So that advice is so harmful because what happens when the absolute best decision, like in my case, is to get divorced? Because of that theology, I spent years working through the idea that because my marriage, quote, failed, I had also failed God somehow. Mm. And I just, I feel like we really need to be careful with that. I don't know if I would call it theology necessarily, just advice, like platitude is really Mm -hmm. kind of what it is. I don't think people truly are thinking through what they're saying when they say keep God at the center of your marriage. It just feels like a nice, important platitude you can offer. Uh, I'm so sorry that you dealt with that and internalized that because I, to me, that kind of church teaching itself is really abusive. Mm -hmm. I agree too, because it's what keeps people in abusive marriages when they go and get counseling and they're told that what they really need to do is get right with God. Uh, What's missing from their marriage is to get right with God. I absolutely heard that that used before. What does it even mean? Exactly. (laughs) It's so vague and it's a way of like not actually addressing what's going on in a relationship, you know? And I mean, okay, let me just say this for a sec. If keeping God at the center and we believe that God is within ourselves, then we also have to center ourselves at the same time. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then when you add in the whole idea of the soulmate and that God chose this person for you, what does that mean when you can't work through the issues, you know, when there's something fundamental about that relationship that just isn't going to work. It's like you try to force it to work because you've bought into the idea that there's only one person for you and that your soul connected. And, yep. and people leave church. Uh, people leave yes. church over this because there's not a way to re-enter when your whole theology hinges mm-hmm. on this one particular thing going mm-hmm. going well. Mm-hmm. Oh, Absolutely. my gosh. That's infuriating. So on a slightly unrelated, but related note. Um, this is something that Jen said in our Facebook group, and we've actually talked about this online, offline a good bit, and maybe can talk mm-hmm. about in a future episode. I should say we came up with so much stuff for this one that we're not gonna be able to get to. <laughs> yeah, we had to pare down a Ooh, lot. <laughs> there's so much. But the distorted idea of marriage fulfilling every relational and emotional need that we yes. have. And she mm-hmm. said, I find the magic and strength in my relationship with my husband comes from our differences and not our similarities. And Mm -hmm. this is so good. I don't know if I would describe my marriage that way because Matt and I have a lot of similarities. Um, But just recognizing that like we don't need everything, single thing from our romantic partner. It's very liberating. Like it's Mm -hmm. gets them off the hook. I mean, there's some core things I think that we all need from a partner, but there are lots of relationships that we can have that fulfill different pieces of who we are. And that's why I love the idea of the soul family because it's very expansive. You know, Mm -hmm. we can have like partners and kids. And I was thinking even like third cousins twice removed, right? Like you can have a whole like system of people in your life that have different kinds of relationships with you, but all connect with you in a different kind of way. And it's not like every relationship has to look a certain way or your magic partner has to be X, Y, Z for every single person. So I think it liberates us from like the toxicity of believing like everything hinges on this one thing. Mm -hmm. So I used to believe a bit more in the soulmate kind of one person 
romantically, I guess, like one person for you. And now I would say that my marriage is a little like what Jen describes. Pat and I are very different. And that has turned out to be a really great thing because we definitely have that balance of what he brings to the marriage and what I bring to the marriage, kind of working in harmony Mm -hmm. with each other. It does mean, though, that I have to have relationships outside of our marriage that help fulfill some of those other other emotional needs or like just the things that, frankly, the things that only the women in my life can understand. Mm-hmm. And so if I was really doubling down on that, he needs to be all of this to me, it absolutely wouldn't work. And I think that's a realization I came to when I was single, especially after my divorce, I made a real effort to build a community around me of friends. I reconnected with old friends and made some new ones, you know, put myself out there, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it was really important as I was kind of rebuilding my identity as a newly single person and kind of like deconstructing my understanding of that relationship, marriage, soulmate concept. And I look back on that phase in my life and really cherish that time that I gave to myself to just learn who I was as me without a partner. And it was the first time in my life that I'd ever lived alone, mm-hmm. which I remember being so scared to move into my own place because I was so terrified of being lonely. Oh, and I look mm-hmm. back at that and think like, I was so scared of being lonely, but it ended up not really being a thing. It actually, living alone ended up being awesome. And I had moments of loneliness, but they were really more moments of boredom, to be totally mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. Mostly, I just loved having a space that was all mine and being alone forced me to figure out how to fill my time, figure out what I like to do and like be the one, make the effort to initiate plans with people and invite people to do things. And I took all of those lessons into this marriage and I feel like mm-hmm. our partnership is way better for it. And I feel like that's how we're able to be kind of like different people with different interests or whatever and different strengths. And, and it doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to be conflict because mm-hmm. of that. You know, so what was your experience like being single? Well, I think it's easy to look back with rose-colored glasses now that yes. um, I'm married with a kid. But I yeah. I figured out a lot of stuff on my own when I was single. And I think what you were talking about maybe connects in the sort of just self-knowledge and self-understanding mm-hmm. of like, what is it that I enjoy doing? How do I want to spend my time? And when I was single, I was just starting to travel for work for the first time by myself Mm -hmm. and just had to figure out how to get myself from point A to point B on my own. Yeah, And that now I realize what a gift that was of just going to a new city, renting a car, never rented a car before. Yep. This was before Google maps was really good. Like a lot of just navigating and like staying in hotels alone and eating alone and just, yes, it was actually really awesome. Um, and I realized how much I did enjoy and could enjoy my own company Um, Mm -hmm. and I never could afford to live by myself in DC, but, um, I did feel like my time was my own. And actually I made a lot of great girlfriends like you during that time. So Katie from our Patreon group, hi Katie. Um, she was really someone who helped me get through that transition of breaking up with a partner and like moving out from an apartment we shared and embracing the freedom of singleness. And she also helped me do like some online dating, which I'd never done before. <laughs> yeah, online dating. We could do an episode on that. Uh, oh, boy. It made for some really good stories for when I first met Matt to tell him about. Um, yeah. But really, that time of being an adult, being single outside outside of a school environment um, yeah. really taught me how important it was to invest in friendships. Because like you said, there's really nothing like 
a good girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's stop there and talk about what we've been reading and listening to. So I can't wait to hear what what have you been consuming lately? (laughs) Okay, so uh, work has been pretty heavy, so I'm keeping it pretty light in my personal life. Okay, I love it. (laughs) And I feel like this kind of fits in with the theme of like personal growth and figuring out who you are, but I have been fairly neutral on Taylor Swift over the years. (laughs) I like some of her music. Some of it I, you know, don't like as much. I've been aware of some of the celebrity gossip about her, but it's not really on my radar. But I was pleasantly surprised by how much I liked the Netflix documentary about her life, Miss Americana. Have you seen it? I have not. So I think if you have, it's, it's pretty short. It's like an hour and 20 minutes. It's not a huge commitment. I think you might like it. It is a look at her overall career, how she came from country music when she was just a teenager, which I think a lot of people forget. She was like 15 when her first single came out. Oh, wow. That's a baby. Yeah. Yeah. And she was, I think, 17, between 17 and 19 when she really started to get famous. And she pretty much grew up in the spotlight and became one of the most successful performers of all time. So the documentary, there's really cool parts about just watching her write a song, like Mm. watching that kind of spark of creativity coming up and how that happens. That's very cool. So all of that is interesting on its own. But what really struck me was how much I could relate to her growing up arc. She talks about when she was young, her identity was wrapped up in being a good person, but kind of like the surface of that, of more like being perceived as a good person, which really means like, following the rules laid out for you by family, the music industry, the media. And over the years, she started to wonder who those rules really benefit. Mm. And I mean, that's something I could really relate to through her life experiences. I mean, she had a pretty significant sexual harassment case a couple years ago. She's been stalked. She had somebody break into her apartment just to sleep in her bed. Oh, Yeah. She talks about um, an eating disorder and how she can't look at pictures of herself really because she would see pictures of herself, you know, on the red carpet or whatever, and then scrutinize different parts of her body to the point where she was literally not eating. And Mm. she, so she talked about working through an eating disorder and through all of that, she started to come into her own and figure out what it actually means to be a good person and not just look like one. So the part that I really liked is when, do you remember a couple years ago, it was the 2018 um, midterms, when Marsha Blackburn was running uh, for Congress in Tennessee yeah. and Taylor Swift went public and said, don't vote for her. <laughs> that was a huge decision for her to do because she'd always been told, you don't want what happened to the Dixie Chicks. Remember the Dixie Chicks. You don't want that to happen to you. And the, her whole life, she'd like stayed out of politics for that reason. And she finally got to the point where she couldn't be silent. And there's a scene where she is like, basically, she and her mom are sitting on one couch and across the room are her dad and like a bunch of old white dudes from her like publicity team or whatever. And she's telling them, I'm going to come out against Marsha Blackburn. And they're telling her no. And she's saying, like, she's crying. And she's she's basically saying, I'm from Tennessee and I'm a Christian. And she does not reflect my values. Ooh, and girl. I was just like, yes, <laughs> Taylor. Yeah. So I, uh, I just really liked it. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. And I recommend this documentary for any Taylor Swift fan, of course, but also just like for young people in general, I think it's a good reminder that we're all human, even celebrities, nobody gets it right, and we all have to grow up. 
I love that. I'm going to watch that. Um, I think you should. I think you'll like it, especially if you like her music. Yeah, I'm kind of neutral about her as well. But I like that what it sounds like is really about her figuring out what integrity looks like and yes, and yes. not caring about what she might lose, but she's going to keep her integrity, which is how I feel about the yep. Dixie Chicks. And I still listen yep. to the Dixie Chicks. I do too. Not Ready to Make Nice is one of my anthems for all time. So. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So what are you reading, listening to, watching? This is so weird. We are both talking about white women in country music. I mean, you know, sometimes. <laughs> I never would have guessed that. I know we're both from the South. I don't consider myself a country music fan. I'm not either. Okay, so but this I, is really funny. I was raised on it, though, so yeah, it's definitely it's, part of my like cultural upbringing. It's hard to avoid if you, if you grew up in the South like we did. Um, yeah, it's on every radio station in every grocery store. Yes. <laughs> yes. And country music is now global. Like I've heard country yeah. music in countries around the world. It's wild. So speaking of which, I have been listening to Dolly Parton's America, the podcast. Have you heard I of this? No. And I'm so excited. Oh my goodness. I'm not done with it. It is so awesome. It's hosted by Jad Abumrad, who you might know from the podcast Radio Lab. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So he's a very experienced podcaster. And I'm, like I said, I'm not a country music fan, but I'm really intrigued with how Dolly Parton's music has shaped our culture. She's been around for so long. She's yes. been writing songs since she was a teenager, like Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. And it was a big part of that novel, Dumplin', which I love. Did mm-hmm. you watch that on Netflix? I saw the movie. I didn't read it. Okay. So it's like her music is just really at the center. Um mm-hmm. And so I heard good things about it, and I really have enjoyed learning about her roots and her career, and um, she is a prolific songwriter. I had no idea. Someone said on the podcast, she is like the Mozart of country music. Like, she is a genius. She wrote, I Will Always Love You in Light of a Clear Blue Morning, like basically the same time. Mm. And um, what's cool about it is her music resonates with people around the world, including Jad's dad who fled Lebanon and is now a doctor at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. And that's where he met because he treated Dolly Parton after giving, you know, like after she was in an accident. And so they've become friends and he's trying to figure out like, why does Dolly Parton's music resonate with so many people, even though it's Mm -hmm. specifically about growing up in the Tennessee mountains. And it's like, she reminds people of home and Mm -hmm. um, it's really, really good. She's apparently also, marked one of the most beloved artists currently like people universally love her and there's very little negativity about her so it's awesome and like the podcast goes podcast goes into feminism and globalization into the origin of musical instruments like i learned this morning the banjo originated in west africa did you know that yes there was this black woman who's a banjo player who was talking about this and how like whiteness just erases the history of so much stuff so there's that like the racism piece but there's also this understanding that globalization is not a new concept and people have been borrowing from each other's cultures musically for centuries like probably from the beginning Mm -hmm. of time so as i'm talking i'm like it goes into so much that's centered in part around dolly parton but more what she represents in our culture yeah it's really heartwarming and light There's definitely some moments that, you know, are tough, but her spirit is so open and she's so warm hearted and it's a real feel good show. So if you need more of that in your life, 
check out Dolly Parton's America. I do need more of that in my life. So thank you for that. Yeah. Like, oh, it's so good. (laughs) I can't wait to listen to the next one. (laughs) Yay. So Katie, you are up for Kindred of the Moment. Yes. And this episode, I want to lift up my friend Shannon Dingle. Um, who you also met. We were in the same room together yeah. a few weeks ago for living her grief and widowhood out loud and like seriously giving zero Fs as she does it. I mean, she mm-hmm. she has been through so much. She lost her husband in a freak accident last summer um, and on a family vacation. And she's just been incredibly raw and honest about her journey of dealing with that and also solo parenting their, I think, five children. Um, some of whom are, it might be six. I should, I should have looked that up, but they have a lot of kids and some of them are adopted. They have different needs and she just like, she's managing a lot. And I just love that she is inviting all of us into her grief process. Um, she's also someone who does a lot more than just talk about her grief. She writes about um, being a survivor. She's an advocate. She, she speaks specifically to issues of disability and ableism, And I feel actually like we need to talk about that because that's not something that's been on our show before, but she's really just lifting up things. And she has a really interesting intersectional take on kind of what's just going on in the world. Uh, So she's someone I turn to a lot just to get her take on things. So if you are interested in following her, we will definitely link to her in the show notes. You can find her at Shannon Dingle on Twitter. So that's it for this episode. Be on the lookout for our Kindred's picks in a few weeks. And on our next full episode, we will be talking about allyship. What does it mean to be an ally to a movement and how can we be better ones? That'll be good. Talk to you then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 